two, today is a very important day. Isn't he handsome last time? <laughs> he should come preach. I feel it. <laughs> um, this, this is obviously, it's more Memorial uh, Day weekend. And so I just wanted to just stop for a moment and I wanted to pray for the families of those, their, their, their relatives, their husbands, wives served and were lost in the battlefield. And so if you just stop, I want to pray and thank, thank uh, their families, basically. So, Father, we thank you for those that served for our freedom, who said, yes, sir, who joined and said, yes, sir. And we just thank you for their, their heroic sacrifice. I pray that you would be with their families today. I pray that you would help their, uh, the memory of their, um, their honor would be preserved, God. And we just thank you for them. We ask that you would bless them. I pray for those that are in the military now, all around the world, in every country that we're in. Father, we ask that you would be with them, keep them safe. I pray that our government will do a really good job of putting them in good situations, Father, and preserve them, preserve their lives. God, we ask that you would protect us, Lord, and we just thank you for it. And we bless their families. We bless the, the, the widows, God, today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. And then today is another day, another important religious day. Anyone know? It is Sunday, yes, but it is Pentecost Sunday. Would you say the word Pentecost? Pentecost. What do you think of when you hear the word Pentecost? Tongues, Holy Spirit, that's it. I think of the fire and the wind that blew, right? I think of the actual birthing of the church on the earth. Hello? The, the final step in God's process of what he wanted to do to redeem mankind was in the day of Pentecost, when they were all in one accord, Acts 2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire and set on each one of their heads. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then it goes on to say, and there were people from all over, all over different regions, and they heard these foolish disciples praising God in the foreign language that they did not know. And they wanted to know, what do we need to do to be saved? That was Pentecost. Now, I'm not going to preach on this today, even though, man, I just ought to. Maybe, I don't know, we'll see. I'm like in between gears with the clutches still in, I'm like, which, uh, and just ask this question. We'll get into this as we keep going on in the forward in the, uh, with this year. Um, but Holy Spirit was not released to mankind to weaponize Christians. And it was not released so that you could speak in a new language and think it's really cool. You have a secret language for the secret club. Those things are part of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. He says, and when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will speak in other tongues. So for those that are afraid of tongues, don't be. Let's embrace our weirdness as Pentecostal people. He gave us this prayer language. It's a language where we pray direct, directly to the Father. And here's why. When we don't know what to pray. Have you ever been there before? You're in a situation and you're like, you know, God, I could just throw stuff up right now as solutions to this problem because that's usually what we do when we pray. Hey, God, would you do this for this? And we're praying our will be done instead of his. Instead of doing that. The Bible says that he would cause his spirit inside of us to cry out and pray for the things that we don't even know we need. I also like to think of it as this. Holy Spirit translates our prayers. When we pray something that maybe isn't according to God's will, Holy Spirit prays with us and says, Lord, this is what he said and is really cute. But this is what he needed to say, and I'm going to join with his spirit. And we say this and so that his will is done in our life. So that's why you need a prayer language. The prayer language also is when you're, when you're dis disappointed and discouraged. I dare you. I dare you. If you are discouraged, disappointed, brokenhearted, uh, perplexed, if your enemies are surrounding you, to close yourself off and don't say words in English or Spanish or whatever your uh, native tongue is, pray in tongues and see what happens. It will strengthen you. Because it's spirit to spirit stuff. So that's why tongues are important. It's not this cool thing to separate us from the Baptist. Sorry. <laughs> and we were called to be weaponized by the Holy Spirit. He will empower us. Jesus said, hey, go to Jerusalem and don't leave until you are 
empowered with the power from on high, from Holy Spirit. So we will become weaponized. And what I mean by that is the gifts that he placed inside of us when he formed us in our mother's womb will become activated. Holy Spirit is an activating agent. Did you know that in Genesis, when God was creating the heavens and the earth, the Bible says that the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos. We sing about it. The Spirit. That was Holy Spirit. He hovered over the chaos so that when God spoke, He made what God said become real. Holy Spirit is an activating agent. So we cannot do kingdom. We cannot do Christianity without Holy Spirit. We need all three. So we will become filled with this presence where we will speak in other tongues. It will become something that we do to strengthen ourselves. We will become weaponized. But those aren't the reasons why Holy Spirit came. In John 14, 15, and 16, you can hear why Holy Spirit came. And this is why. Jesus said, there's a lot of things I want to tell you guys. It was basically, hey, I'm fixing to leave. Have you ever been, you've left your, your kids with a babysitter or you, you left your kids alone? The last things you say right when you leave before you go out the door are the most important things, right? You told them all kinds of stuff, don't do this. But on the way out the door, the most important things, don't open the door for anyone. Don't, do, don't go outside. The most important things you say for right before you leave. So Jesus is calling all his disciples together and he's like, hey guys, I'm about to leave you alone. You're teenagers now. I'm going to trust you with the house. I'm going to leave. But I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, and I will live in you. He says, and I will pray for the Father to send you another comforter, another helper, and he will come and live inside of you. Why is that important? Because when Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, he causes us to call God Daddy. That's why Holy Spirit came, was to bring sons and daughters to the knowledge that they are sons and daughters. Holy Spirit is awesome in so many things. He gives us prophetic insight. He gives us discernment. He gives us the ability to discern situations and seasons. He empowers us to do things we couldn't do on ourselves. He gives us a great language to encourage ourselves and pray directly to the will of the Father, directly to the Father. And those things are all wonderful. But the key to all of it was, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send you my Spirit, and my Father will now be your Father that's, that's why we celebrate Holy Spirit. That's what today is about. Amen? Amen. That's the good news. Everyone say, that's the good news. That's the rest of the story. I mean, Paul Harvey fans, right? That is the rest of the story. So Jesus is about to leave. He's like, oh, by the way, before I leave, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you a paraclete. I'm going to send you a comforter. That word paraclete, not parakeet. <laughs> It's, it's a Greek word that means one who walks with you or walks beside you. Another helper, a counselor, a teacher. And then, Holy Spirit, so Jesus is saying, I want to give you more, but you can't handle it right now. You can't handle the truth. So when I send you Holy Spirit, then He will remind you of all the things I've taught you, and He will release to you all the truth that I can't tell you right now. In other words, Jesus was saying, if I told you everything that's coming, it would blow your minds right now. You do not have the capacity to contain the revelation that I want to release to you. But when Holy Spirit comes, He will release to you like a time capsule the things that I want to tell you. And He will remind you of who I am and He will release to you and activate in you the kingdom that's coming on the earth. So that's what today's about. Now, how many think today's even better than, than when you walked in? This is even a better day. So here's what I want to do. You guys give me a little time. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, would you stand right where you're at? You're like, oh my gosh. Look, this isn't camp. We're not going to... Uh, I love camp back in the day. Let's just pretend this was someone we're praying for. You get the pray sway going on, you know? Anyone remember that? Anyone ever go to camp? You had people in the front, people in the back, and we were pray swaying, right? All of us together. We were praying in tongues in their ear, hoping it would catch on. Just say these words. You know? We're not doing that. Jesus said that he laid hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Others just repented and they were baptized in water and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Other times they just breathed on them. And I won't do that. But he breathed on his disciples and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So if you want an encounter with the Holy Spirit, stand, and we're just going to pray that God will right now breathe upon you His presence. Yeah, oh yeah, Lord. This is good, God. Why don't you just tell Him? It's a free gift. You don't have to do anything. Just say, I receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit right now. Take all the preconceived ideas of what you need to do now out. It is a relationship. It looks different for everyone. You will pray in tongues. That may happen right now. It may happen later. It doesn't matter to me. He will do those things. All that you need to do now is to engage into a relationship with the person of Holy Spirit. He will come rest upon you right now. Father, we ask that you would send now Holy Spirit. Jesus, fulfill your purpose now. Send Holy Spirit to us. You said you would not leave us as orphans, and we receive this gift. Now, why don't you just start talking to Holy Spirit? Just talk to Him. Some of us don't ever really even pray to the person of Holy Spirit. Go ahead and just tell Him, I love you, Holy Spirit. You're so creative. You're powerful. You're good at keeping me from things that I don't need to be into. You're good at disciplining me. You're good at reminding me of who Jesus is, who the Father is, who I am. I love you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> I welcome you into my life. Why don't you just welcome him? We invite you. Why don't you invite him into your heart? We invite you into our heart, Holy Spirit. How do you know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit? How do you know if you've entered into a covenant relationship with the Holy Spirit? You will begin to do the things that Jesus did. And I don't mean breaking five loaves and two fish stuff, even though you may do that. You will have the, the personality of who Jesus is. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. There's acts of the sinful nature. There's the fruit of the Spirit. There's acts of the, acts of the, the, the Spirit nature. Those things will begin to manifest inside of our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. This is how we will know that we are in relationship with the Holy Spirit. It will affect our personality. Amen? So why don't you just thank Him right now. Again, wipe away the preconceived ideas of what you expect to happen. And let Him initiate this, alright? He initiates and we simply respond. Amen? Father, breathe over us. <laughs> amen, amen for that. Yes, God. Yes, Holy Spirit. We say, Daddy, Father, yeah. We are sons and daughters. We cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Mm. Just start a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Why don't you ask him some questions? Like if you just met someone, what do you do for a living? What's your favorite color, Holy Spirit? <laughs> Get to know him. Get to know him.
Tell him what your favorite attribute that he has. Tell him what it is. I love his creativity. I just love how he creates things. He's the most creative being on the planet. You're so creative, Holy Spirit. You just tell him. (laughs) He's the best comforter. He knows how to comfort us more than anyone. He's the best counselor. He's the most wise. He's the spirit of holiness. Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness. Now, I want to give you an opportunity. If you do pray in tongues, if you want to, just go for it. Right now, just talk to them. Just would take just a minute. You just pray in tongues. You don't have to be loud unless you want to. But just pray in tongues, all right? I'm going to turn my mic off just so I'm not annoying you, all right? Yes, Lord. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for sending us this gift. (laughs) And I pray that today will mark a change in our lives, God. A new adventure. I pray that everyone in here will have the full encounter of the Holy Spirit. That everything that Holy Spirit has to offer, that every one of us in this room would experience it for ourselves. That it would be real to us. You said your spirit would be poured out upon all flesh. So God, we declare that everyone in here, we're part of all flesh. Your spirit will be poured out upon us and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Everyone in this room will begin to prophesy. Father, we declare that right now. You will prophesy. You will dream dreams and you will see visions. Amen. You will be anointed. for specific tasks and purposes, you will begin to have insight and, and abilities to do things you didn't learn. You, didn't, you don't remember how you learned it. The Holy Spirit is going to activate abilities inside of you. <laughs> Thank you. Last thing I'll say is, on this is Father we will not grieve Holy Spirit and we also will not quench Holy Spirit maybe you've heard it before we grieve Holy Spirit when we do something we shouldn't or when we don't do what we should that's when we grieve Him we quench the Holy Spirit when we don't go for it Amen when we don't do the things we're called to do right So we will not do that. We will not grieve and we will not quench the Spirit. We will fan it into flame. Yes, God. I love how in the the, the telling of the day of Pentecost, 
how fire came on each one of their heads, and then he sent the wind to blow. What happens when there's a fire and the wind blows? It spreads everywhere. Amen? We declare that to happen. We declare that your family will begin to encounter Holy Spirit. Amen? Let me say amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> amen. Woo. Amen. You, if you're in- encountering him, keep on. All right? I do feel like I need to equip us with something else as well. And I want to do that, okay? So if you'll give me just a few more minutes. <clears throat> I feel like there's some, again, if you're encountering him right now, you can tune me out. I know, you, I know you're good. We can all do that. Right? We are anointed with the gift of tuning out a speaker. <laughs> so, if you want to open to Romans 6. Romans 6. And um, I'm going to try to get through this real quickly. But it's vital what I'm speaking on today um, for where we're going. Father, those that are listening by podcast or through the website, iTunes, whatever this week, we declare that right now where they're at, they would have an encounter with Holy Spirit. (laughs) No one's exempt. Right now, I declare, I I even want to call names of people I know that listen, but I won't. You will will encounter right now the Holy Spirit. I declare Holy Spirit's going to encounter you. Right where you're at, in your car, while you're working out, on the treadmill, when you're running in the park, wherever you are, Holy Spirit is, is going to encounter you right now. So you might want to pull to the side of the road if you're driving, right? Amen. Amen. All right, Romans 6, and we'll read this, we'll get to it in a moment. And there's a lot of scripture I'm going to uh, go over today, so when we're done, if you want notes, um, let me know. I'll print some notes up for you, because um, I want to try to move, move quickly. Um, but Father, we just ask that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. We ask you prepare our hearts to not only hear, but to put into practice what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the question that I want to start off with, okay? How do we break generations of negative momentum that is the fruit of, con- of the consequences of our sinful thoughts or sinful actions? That's a kind of a weird question, right? How do we stop the momentum that has been created by generations or years of bad patterns of thinking or bad patterns of behavior? I want to talk about that today because God made a provision to remove the the punishment for our sins, but also to stop the wave of momentum that sin creates. All right, y'all ready? And we're diving in deep today, all right? So we're going to go for this. Many call these things generational curses. Now, I want to ask you this. You know, the last 20 years, especially 20 years ago, this was taught about a lot. Generational curses and how to break the curse and this and that. Why did this topic come up? Because so many people were were first-generation believers or were were multi-generation believers, and they were still seeing negative consequences and patterns in their life, and they're hearing that Jesus came to wipe away our sins and came to make us a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and yet for some stinking reason, we're still struggling with these things. And it didn't make any sense. And you're right, it doesn't make any sense. And then we read stories where Jesus is speaking to a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. They pull her out. Jesus confronts her and says, where's your husband? That's a confrontational question. If you're a woman who's had five husbands and now you're living with some other guy. And when Jesus says to her, where's your husband? That's a confrontational question. Long story short, you know the story. She goes, well, sir, I don't have... I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you were just caught with is not your husband. She's like, I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) (laughs) You're very perceptive. (laughs) So what does Jesus tell her? Woman, you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Then what did he say to her? Go and stop sinning. Everyone say, go and stop sinning. And I believe that when Jesus says to you, Or to me, go and stop sinning, that we are now equipped to stop sinning. And I believe this woman's life was completely turned around. If you'll read through the Gospels, you'll even find out that she became an evangelist. Because the next time they came to this area, tons of people came to see this man who helped this woman be set free. 
So she told everybody, I mean, I mean when your life has changed, people, you don't have to preach a sermon. People know. But Jesus said to her, stop sinning. So we hear these stories and we're like, well, why am I still struggling with sin? Or why am I still seeing these negative patterns or consequences in my life? Will it ever stop? Yes. It will stop. It can stop. How many believe that? Let's read this in Romans 6, verse 20. Romans 6, verse 20. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free of righteousness. In other words, righteousness had no chance with you because you were bound to sin. All right? Therefore, what benefits were you getting from the things which you're now ashamed of? In other words, what fruit was being in bondage to sin? What fruit was that producing? You're ashamed of it now. This is what he's saying to him. <clears throat> For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin, you are now servants to God. You now gain benefits that result in sanctification. And the outcome of those benefits is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And everyone said amen to that, right? So I want to I declare that when we say yes to Jesus, the curse of sin is broken from our lives. Amen? This is, this is like foundational stuff that we really need to become really good at this stuff, right? So why are we still facing the consequences of sin? In John chapter 9, I want to read this story because it's an amazing story. It's John chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 1. John 9, verse 1. And it says, As he passed by, he saw a man who was blind since he was born. And his disciples asked him, Teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents that he would be born blind? Very interesting question, don't you think? Who sinned? And Jesus answered and said, It was neither this man who sinned nor his parents. But this was brought about so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent. I must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spit on the ground and made clay with his spit. Beautiful picture. It's like the stories I've heard of Smith Wigglesworth and those kinds of guys that, that punted dead babies. It happened, and the baby came back to life. Or punched a person in the stomach who had stomach cancer, and the stomach was gone. I wouldn't suggest punching people in the stomach or kicking babies or spitting in the ground and making mud. But this is what Jesus decided to do. He applied it to the man's eyes, and then he told him to do something. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. That word Siloam is translated into sent. So Jesus gave him instructions and sent him to do something, to obey him, right? So when he went away, he did what Jesus said. He washed and he came back able to see. And his neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the guy who used to sit on the road and beg for money every day? And others were saying, oh, this isn't him, it's someone else. This is just, you know, this is a, a story that they're telling. And everyone else, he kept saying, no, I am the one. So they were saying to him, then how are your eyes opened? And he answered them, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam, the pool of Siloam, the pool of scent. So I did what he told me to do, and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I don't know. I'm not responsible for him. I'm just telling you what happened. Why is this story important? First of all, everyone in that time period understood that sin had consequences. 
And those consequences, they had seen generations of momentum build up of consequences of sin. There was no forgiveness of sin in that time period. There was only these, these sacrificial offerings that were presented once a year that just pushed back the punishment another day to another time. So because of that, there was this rolling momentum of sin. So much so that they knew that many people were born with diseases and they knew it was because their parents sinned. Now you're understanding this. Did this son do anything wrong to be born blind? No. Jesus said didn't, his parents didn't either. And they're scratching their heads. This is how things work. We, we sin. We do something foolish. Sin has consequences. And those consequences are passed on from generation to generation. And Jesus is announcing to them, no, that old system of sin being rolled forward and momentum going has now, is going to be stopped by my blood. But why, why is this story important beyond that fact? Because Jesus could have spoken and healed the man. But he gave the man a task that required obedience. I'm reminded of the story, Naaman the leper. And the prophet told him to go dip in this nasty river seven times. And he says, when you come up the seventh time, your skin will be like a baby's skin. And he argued with him. Aren't there more beautiful rivers than this river? I'm not going to the Trinity River and dipping in the river. There may be bodies floating by me in the Trinity River. Can't I go to a fresh pool somewhere or a nice spring? No, go to this river Dip yourself in it seven times. And the prophet says, if the Lord asks you to do something noble, wouldn't you do it? So aren't you desperate enough to be whole that you will obey what the Lord tells you to do? And so he said, yes. He went and did what God said, and he was healed. What's the point? Jesus' blood separates the punishment of sin. It takes care of the punishment of sin. But it, our life doesn't stop there. obedience is required from that point forward. Jesus never faced the consequences of sin. Think about that for a minute. He never felt a wave or momentum of sin in his life. Why? Because he never sinned. Pretty easy, right? He never sinned. He only did what his father said. He only said what his father said. He only did what his father did, right? He only obeyed the father. John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. He said, I'm an, I'm an obedient son. John 6, 38 says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of my father who sent me. What is he saying? I don't have my own way. Everyone say, Jesus didn't have his own way. It was his father's way or the highway. There was neither one. Was one I mean, it's one or the other. That's it. Because Jesus lived according to his father's ways, he constantly confronted evil and darkness just by his presence. Because he was... Connected rightly with the Father. That's what the word righteous means. To be rightly connected with the Father. Because he was rightly connected here, it affected everything here. He didn't even seek a lot of these things out. People came running to him for breakthrough. Why? Because when Jesus walked into a room, the atmosphere shifted. And all of that momentum that sin had created had no authority where he was. It was like a Jesus bubble. And when people would turn their hearts to him, they would get into the bubble with him. And things would change. What was this bubble? It was obedience to the Father. What was this bubble? It was living according to the rules which his Father in heaven established. Obedience is the key to breaking sin's momentum in our life. We can say yes to God and He forgives us of our sins. But if we don't get up from our saying yes and, and follow Him, we can still experience the negative consequences of our decisions. Why? 
because we created patterns of behavior and patterns of thought that create highways for, toward, toward specific lifestyles. In 1960 something, Paul Harvey, maybe it was in the 70s when the AIDS epidemic spread, he says, if you'll go to your hotel room and go next to the nightstand, he goes, there is a book in that nightstand that will prevent all AIDS. He says, it's the Holy Bible. Because God's word is preventative. When we live according to the ways of God, it prevents the enemy from having authority to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy cannot come through your obedience and break the laws of your obedience. The thief cannot come into your house of obedience and submission to God and wreak havoc in your home. He cannot step into your bubble of obedience. He can mess with us when we just say, oh yes, God, I receive your grace and mercy, and we don't do anything to follow that up. He can mess with us then. Because we're still living according to the patterns and the ways of this world. We haven't been transformed into a new thinking yet. What's the new thinking? I will do whatever you tell me to do, God. Yes, sir. Amen. So when Jesus walked around, he leaked everywhere. And his bubble infected everyone he came in contact with. Even people who just touched his robe were healed. Why? Because he brought the government of heaven with him in his personality. He did things differently than the way the world did things. Not just to be a rebel and to be different from the world system. He did them because that's all he knew to do. This is how it is in heaven. I don't know any other way. So Jesus lived his life with only awareness of only one thing, and it was God's ways. God's laws. He starts preaching. And he says, well, you have heard it said, but I really want to tell you what God's law really says. See, obedience breaks that wave of momentum we were talking about. It breaks that generational curse. It's not just our saying yes. I do believe when we say yes, His grace is sufficient for us, right? But at some point, we have to understand that grace is not mercy. Mercy is what forgives us of our sins. It's His mercy that says, you know what? I'll stand in your place and be punished. That was mercy. I will be punished for what you deserve to be punished for. Grace is not mercy. Grace is the empowering presence of God. And when the empowering presence of God overwhelms us, we now are able, able and capable and empowered to do what we could not do before. So when I say yes to God, His mercy washes me white as snow, then His grace comes and now empowers me to live in right relationship with the Father, where now I obey the laws of heaven. And when I obey the laws of heaven, it affects the earth that I live on. It affects my generational heritage. Amen? Obedience is a choice. Woo. When I grew up, I grew up in a home where we could not say the word, I can't. I mean, we really couldn't say it. We would get a spanking for saying, I can't. I'm, not, I'm telling the truth. Right, Pops, if you're listening. <laughs> I can't. And my dad would always say, I would never, or he would ask the question, do you think I would ever ask you to do something that you could not do? And I would be like, well, you just did. <laughs> so recently, that word can't came up in my home. My son's going to hate me when he gets older. You're always using me in your sermons. <laughs> well, obey the Lord. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> that word can't came up. And I was like, wait a second. There is no can't. I won't go yoga on you. There is no try. Do or do not. I said, there is no can't, son. Either you choose to or you choose not to. And I made him say it. Say it with me. I choose to, I choose to, or I choose not to. 
There is no can't. <laughs> Obedience is a choice. It's not, I can't break this addiction. Yes, you can. He already empowered you to do it. There is no can't. Either you break it or you don't break it. There is no can't. I can't stop getting angry when my kids spill my coffee all over the counter. I'm not talking about me. I'm just playing. You know I am. That's like liquid gold, dude. Do not. You know what that coffee costs, son? You're paying for my coffee. I can't stop just yelling at them. No, there is no can't. I choose to yell at them or I choose not to yell at them. There is no can't. We'll stop there with the examples because I'm, I'm wounded. <laughs> so once we say yes to the Lord, we're saying, I chose you. But we have to keep choosing him. Like we talked about it with our spouses a few, week, few months ago. I chose Mandy and I still choose you. To this, I still choose you. And she says the same to me. I chose you and I still choose you. Still. It's not going to change. I'll choose you tomorrow and forever. For now and eternity, I choose you. But I can say those things to her, but if I don't follow them up with obedient action towards my declaration, then they're empty words. But if something comes up on television and a really sexy person comes on TV and I stay and I watch it, I'm not choosing my spouse, men or women. And we have a rule in our home that we, we record almost anything we watch just in case. Most of you have DVR, just do this. Plus, you save time to the stupid commercials. They're worse than the shows. <laughs> we, we have a thing in our home. If something comes up on television, I teach my sons to look away. Why? Because women are supposed to be beautiful to men. That's not what's wrong. What's wrong is looking. <laughs> By doing this, I'm teaching my sons to choose their spouse now before they ever meet her. And I'm teaching my wife and showing my wife through examples, I choose you, babe. I choose you. And we do these things. We have different things. I won't go into all those. We have these things that we do. I choose you. This is, you know, I'm choosing you now. You're ahead. Of, you're, you're first. Right? We need to do that with the Lord. I said yes to you, Lord, but I still say yes. How do I prove my yes? I live in right relationship with the Father. I live according to heaven's decrees. Amen? Yeah. See, Proverbs um, 14, verse 12, and Proverbs 16, verse 25 are the exact same verse. And they say this. There is a way. I can stop there and many of you can finish it. <laughs> Good for you. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. See, when I choose not to obey God, it's called rebellion. I can plead ignorance. I can say I can't. I can say I'm just not strong enough. I can say my childhood did not equip me for making this decision. I can make any excuse in the book. There is no excuse. I choose to or I choose not to. There is no can't. When I say yes to the Lord but I still am the captain of my life and he's not, I bring what was sanctified out of the bubble of sanctification and purity. And I again give the enemy access to what he was just given no access to. By obedience, by submission. Is this okay? <clears throat> Going another way or rebelling against the ways of God, that's what produces the consequences that we experience in our life. I can't tell you how many times in my life, I was like, but I'm doing everything right, knowing full well I wasn't doing everything right. And this is not about works. Because this is impossible, working and making it happen. This only comes by grace. The empowering presence of God that causes me to be able to do what I could not do on my own. 
So the gospel and God's ways are preventative. Will you say the word preventative? See, God did not give us His laws and His ways and tell us to follow them and obey them because He's the cosmic killjoy or because He's the cosmic control freak. God is not in control. Oh, blasphemy. Despite what your bumper sticker and KLTY tells you. God is not in control. God is an authority. There's a difference between control and authority. If I'm in control of my house, that means everyone in my house does what pleases Jared because I tell them to and I make them. But when I'm an authority in my house, everyone obeys the standard of the home because they love dad and because they want to protect the connection. God is not this cosmic control freak who wants to make you do what he tells you. He wants you to choose. Now when you choose, He has the authority to completely affect your life. Amen? Amen. Why did God give us the law or laws or, or commandments? Or why did God give revelation of His ways to people? Because He knows how the world should operate. He knows the best atmosphere for the best fruit. It's, it's funny. How many uh, know the comedian uh, Penn Gillette? He's, a, he's an atheist. He just doesn't believe in God. He's a good man, as good as a man can be without knowing God. He's a good man. But recently he sat down uh, with, with Glenn Beck, and they were talking about religion. And they discovered, and they said, okay, let's take away religion. And let's just take the Ten Commandments. And he asked Penn Jillette, aren't these just good ways to live? Take God out of it. Just look at the laws. Don't kill. Don't covet. Don't take your neighbor's wife from her. From, from him. Whatever. Maybe her nowadays. Don't do this. <laughs> and Penn Jillette's like, yeah, take, take God out of it. That's just a good way to live. Why? God knows the best way for humans to get along well. <laughs> Imagine that. He also knows that we invite the slimy little thief to steal, kill, and destroy when we don't live by his laws. That's just the way I like to remind the devil. He's just not as good as he, think he thinks he is. All right, let's, let's finish out. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever made a mistake by not following the instructions when assembling a bookshelf, a baby bed, a TV stand? Anyone in here besides me? Like, oh, I got this. This is simple. And you miss one little thing, one stupid little bolt, and you get to the end, and it's wobbly or it's not right, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I completely ruined this. How did I ruin it? It's still a TV stand. It just won't hold my TV. <laughs> so it's just a dust collector, right? We've all done this. I hope maybe most of us have done this. If you followed the instructions, good for you. The instructions were not there because they think you're stupid and don't know how to build a TV stand. It's pretty basic. They're there because they are the ones that created it. And they know how it's best put together to last the longest and be the most efficient. So what do we have to do? We're building the bunk beds. We miss a point. We get to the very end and we're like, oh, we missed an instruction. We missed something. What do we have to do? We have to deconstruct what we just built, rewind all the way back and find out what we did wrong, which takes the longest part of it, and then start where we were and build again. Now, did our mistake ruin the TV stand? Did it permanently ruin it? No, unless we don't go back and what? Fix it. That going back, we're putting this together. We forgot a piece. We got to the end. Sometimes we're like, oh, just forget it. We'll just put that extra part somewhere else later and maybe we'll figure it out. <laughs> but if we really, it's really important. <laughs> 
We stop, we rewind, we go back, we change the way we think about this, and we go back to the instructions, and then we put it back together the way it's supposed to. That's called repentance. The, the realization, oh my God, I just screwed up our TV stand, is not repentance. Like, oh, I just pray that it works, is not repentance. Repentance is realizing, oh, this is what's wrong. First of all, there's something wrong. Number two, what exactly is wrong? We stop short a lot, and we call it repentance by saying, oh, I'm really sorry. I know something's wrong. I don't know exactly what it is. And we just kind of move forward from there, and we never really find out what the real, what the bolt is missing that we left out. And we call it repentance, and we get along the path, and we're like, God, I'm obeying you. I'm doing everything you told me to do. Why is my TV stand wobbly? And the Lord says, you didn't put it together right. You have to say, okay, something's wrong. Number two, something's very specific is wrong. I have to find that specific thing that's wrong and say, God, okay, I see you. You're right. Let's deconstruct what we built on this wrong thing and let's build it right from here on out. That's repentance. Yeah, still with me? I'm closing. I promise. I'm at the end. Let me say this. As amazing as mercy and grace are, how many think amazing grace and mercy? They're amazing. They're wonderful. As amazing as they are, their purpose is to lead us to repentance. Their purpose isn't to whitewash and just say, oh, it's okay. If someone mistreats you, the first time you're kind of like, what's, what's your problem? The second time, you're like, all right, man, I got to tell you, you got a problem. Right? The third time, we're like, I'm going to punch you. Sorry. I'm, I'm just flash, flashing through my head. Yeah, I'm seeing stories and I'm, I lost my, lost my way, right? I don't want them to say, oh, I'm sorry, and then do it again. Oh, I'm sorry. If I say to them, oh, it's okay, you can be mean to me. You can talk down to me. You can, make, you can make me look stupid, whatever. And I just say to them, oh, it's okay. What am I telling them? This is how you are allowed to treat me. If we come to God and we're like, man, something's wrong with this TV stand. I don't really want to know exactly what's wrong. I just want to move on. Would you just give me grace and mercy, God, and expect him to say, oh, it's okay, Jared. then God is saying, you're allowed to treat me this way. And, and I'm a bad father because I'm going to let you keep doing this because I know that you keep doing this, it leads to destruction. It creates a wave of negative momentum. He's not a bad father. He's such a good father, he will confront us. Amen? So repentance isn't, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, forgive me, give me grace. Repentance is going back, finding out specifically what was wrong and fixing it with God from then forward. Everyone good? We're going to close out. So can I ask God for mercy and grace, then go on living according to my own will and expect to not see dead fruit in my life? No, not possible. Jesus told the brood of, or John the Baptist told the brood of vipers, he called them, who warns you of the judgment that's coming for you guys? This is Matthew 3. Who warns you of this judgment that's coming? He goes, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance requires fruit. Obedience requires fruit. When I obey the ways of the Lord, it is preventative. Is everyone getting this? Okay. What's the point? Romans 12, 1 and 2. hope you know this. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies 
as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is not our spiritual act of worship. This is not our spiritual act of worship. You're awesome, God. That is not our spiritual act of worship. Presenting myself to Him to obey His ways and be in right relationship with Him is my spiritual act of worship. And then He follows it up and says this, Do not conform any longer to the thinking, the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How? By repentance, by the renewing of your mind. God's ways are best. You know, we've marketed Christianity really wrong. We just have. We need a new marketing department. I think Holy Spirit's trying to do that right now and invade uh, Christianity and give us this creative marketing plan. God's a good Father. And when we live according to His ways, things go well with us. When we live against, when we rail against the ways of God, it does not go well for us. Now, I, I will close with this. You know, as a teenager, I was one of those that kind of had to learn the hard way. Back then, there was a DC Talk song, Some people gotta learn the hard way. I guess I'm the kind of... Anybody remember that? I guess I'm the kind of guy that has to find out for myself. I would do my own thing until I almost died from it. I mean, just miserable. I'm the kind of person that I can't get away with anything with God. I will feel so guilty. I will be sick in my stomach. I will have all these stupid things happen to me because I feel guilty. I had migraines as a uh, teenager into my young adulthood, and it was all because of guilt. Because I knew something was wrong with my TV stand, but I didn't want to find out exactly what it was. So I continued to live by my own ways, my own patterns, and felt guilty for it. I remember one time I was sick for two weeks. I had never in my life had a fever blister. Not one time in my life. But I was in, and it was not outright just rebellion against God, but it was because it wasn't His will. So for two weeks, I had fever blisters in my mouth, on my tongue, in my nose, on my face. I had so many of them, I could not eat or drink anything. I, I drank because He had to, but only because I had to. It hurt so bad, and I was so sick. I lost like 20-something pounds in just two weeks. I mean, I literally was, I was so sick that my mommy had to bathe me. And it wasn't a physical thing that came upon me. It was a spiritual attack that I allowed the enemy into my life through rebellion, through going my own way. And because I went my own way, I was outside of the bubble and it caused fruit to come in my life that was not good fruit. And the whole time I'm laying there in my bed, I knew what the problem was. This is not a physical issue. This is a spiritual battle that I'm going through right now. And at the end of those two weeks, I tapped out. Yes, God. It took me two weeks. Yes, God. I will go back and I will change that decision that I made that led to this, led to this thing. I couldn't get away with anything. It had just happened. I had just decided this thing. What happened? I wasn't in a right relationship with the Father. I stepped outside of the bubble by not obeying the voice of the Lord. I've, I am learning the value of just, yes, sir. Remember I told you before we came here, the Lord gave me a, a prophetic dream. And in the dream, uh, he just kept repeating this line. Yes, sir, is a military command to be used in times of warfare. And he just kept saying it to me in my dream, like hundreds and thousands of times. Yes, sir, is a military term to be used in times of warfare. I had no idea what it meant. I was like, thanks for that. Thanks for that word. It kept coming up. I had no idea what it meant until later. So a few years later, flash forward, and now I understand. God loves it when I say yes, sir, to him. Because it brings me into a bubble of protection. And it says that he will cause all of our things to prosper. All of our ways to prosper. When? When we live according to His ways. Amen? So this is the foundation of Christianity. If we call repentance just saying I'm sorry and stop there, we will continue to have sons and daughters birthed in the kingdom that don't know what the problem is. They have wobbly TV stands and don't know why. This is why. Is everyone okay? I'm done. I know it took a long time.
Would you stand? Let's just, I, I just want to open the altar. I don't want to say anything. Don't leave unless all God's agenda is fulfilled in you. Just ask him, Lord, is there anything else you have for me today? And don't leave without those things being done. If you need to give your heart to the Lord, if you want to um, confess your sin, the Bible tells us to do this. This is what's wrong with my TV stand. That's confession. If you need to do that today, someone will be here. We would love to pray with you and celebrate your decision of obedience and cheer you on to go for it. And we believe that God's grace will be enough for you and empower you to do what you need to. I also want to say if you have any other needs, family crisis, business crisis, you need prayer for anything, we're here. But I want to open the altars. I want to ask you to come up and just talk to the Lord. Really repent. Maybe a TV stands wobbly and you don't know why. He'll show you today, amen? So I'm going to shut up and open the altars.